Hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name's Lucy Gilman, I'm Deputy Editor at B2B Marketing and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Rosie Guest, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Apex Group. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some of the initiatives Apex are taking to create a more equal workplace and what proactive change really looks like. So, Rosie, welcome to the show. Just to kick things off, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your role at Apex? Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for having me. So as you mentioned, I'm Chief Marketing and Communications Officer. That means I look after all of the marketing, whether that's product marketing, uh, content marketing, all of the go-to-market strategy, as well as the comms inclusive of internal comms. And then one element we've also added in is CSR, which sits within my remit. So very broad ranging, basically anybody and anything that touches Apex um, needs to go through us. Amazing. So a small job, I imagine. (laughs) Yeah, not much to do, no. (laughs) (laughs) And great. So as I said at the start, we're here to talk about some of the steps that Apex are taking to create a more equal workplace. And I want to talk about two initiatives that you launched since working there, first being the Shadow Executive Community and the Women's Accelerator Program. So let's start with the Shadow Executive Committee. Could you tell us a bit about this and what drove you to launch it? Yeah, sure. So I've I've been at Apex, I'm in my ninth year now, so I've been here a while. Uh, so I've kind of grown up into my role throughout that time. And the Shadow Executive Committee was something we launched, I think, around four years ago now, three and a half years ago. And I, I suppose it was born out of a slight frustration on my part. Um, I think I felt like I had a lot of ideas, a lot to say, and not really the platform on which to say it. Um, and Apex Group is it's a tr- it grew up as a traditional financial services firm, something very different today because we've had huge growth. But in the earlier days, it really was traditional financial services. And it's no secret that in that space, it's been very dominated by men, predominantly white men and specifically of a certain age. And our executive committee at that time was 10 men within their 50s, 90 percent white Um all lovely and great at their jobs because therein lies the issue often when it comes to diversity and and moving the needle because financial services is that way for a reason you know it goes back to historically men being in the workplace and that takes time to change but I, I wanted to try and give a voice to myself obviously as, as somebody that felt like they had some things to contribute but brought more broadly to a more diverse set of people whether that be gender ethnicity age group, societal standing, just to get a little bit more of a diverse set of perspectives at the senior leadership discussion. Um, And luckily for me at the time, and and still now, I was reporting directly into our CEO, which gave me the access to at least have the conversation with him. And I'd read an article, I think it was um, a Forbes article potentially, around the concept of a shadow board. And it was slightly different from what we ended up setting up, but I think it needs to be specific to each company as to what you need. But the idea of having a group of people almost shadowing that executive committee and pairing them. So what we did was get 10 10 women, uh, sorry, five women and five men across the organization. They were across, I think, nine different countries. Um, We had different ethnicities and we specifically looked at the millennial age group um, and at kind of director level, but not quite executive. So people that had the potential 
but maybe not the opportunity to talk about things. And it was absolutely excellent. So we only ran it for a year and I think it served its purpose. At the time, I thought maybe this would be an ongoing thing and we would rotate the people. Um, But actually in practice, what it ended up doing is fundamentally kind of changing the makeup of the way the business operated because having that link between the exec committee and the shadow really formed kind of mentor-mentee and reverse mentor relationships. So everybody learned something and started to hear different perspectives of, you know, maybe slightly more grassroots opinions of of things that might be um, delivered across the business. So it didn't transpire to become an annual thing. We don't now rotate people and have an ongoing shadow executive committee. But what it did do was have a year's worth of discussion, some challenging um, importantly, I think that that's one thing that came about out of it that led to longer term change. And and now, fast forward, you know, three and a half years, we now have um, an executive committee of twenty five percent women. I think so. Substantial change in in just three years, and two of those, myself included, came from the shadow executive committee. So, I think where it came from to circle back to your question was probably a place of frustration um but where it's led to is actual long term sustainable and i think irreversible change because since that started to happen it's really kind of motivated the senior leadership team to continue embracing diversity and to start thinking about it so it's it's not any more something that people need to shout about it's actually already on the on the list of topics it's just how do we now accelerate that change and continue to implement it in various different ways Mm. I think that like you say I don't think that 25% of women necessarily would have been guaranteed if you wouldn't have had a program like that and really having that mindset shift mindset shift like you say yeah I don't think it would have happened at all, to be honest. I think it would have in the end, but potentially not as quickly as it has done. And I don't think, again, that 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 is intentional. In my experience, I don't think there's ever been a scenario where I've seen people actively try to keep women or people of a certain ethnicity or social standing down. I think it's very subliminal, but it happens. So it's a little bit about kind of knocking on the door, but then also somebody needs to open the door. Um, So a bit of a combination of those things, but then once the door is ajar, you know, it's not going to close again or it's unlikely to close again. Mm. I definitely agree. I think it's that unconscious bias and just making, it sounds so buzzwordy to say, but making the unconscious conscious and really reaffirming that this should be front of mind at all times and not something that's passive in the background. Exactly. And it's that thing of, you know, if people aren't experiencing something, then they perhaps don't notice it. And I think it's having the confidence or being bold enough to sort of flag it is where you see people changing things in history. We we see that time and time again in various different examples Um, and on a much smaller scale, but on a transformational scale for Apex then once you flag something, then we have, and, and it's it's one example of an area in which we've done that and the Women's Accelerator is another, but it's definitely put it on the agenda and being transparent about it as well because it mobilizes your people to feel energetic and it's that kind of see it to be it situation. People feel empowered. Actually, maybe I can 
get there and if I just get engaged and if I raise my hand, you know, I, th- I think there's a slight privilege there for us in that Apex is a very uh, flat structured, transparent and open business and genuinely does embrace ideas from everybody. So perhaps that wouldn't have worked in a different organization. But again, it needs people to put their hand up and to raise topics in order for them to, to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. And on the Women's Accelerator front, could you just tell us how that came about and what were some of the aims of it going into the program? Yeah, so the Women's Accelerator was, I launched that one a year ago, actually, so January 2022. And that one was probably, again, born out of frustration, uh, but less so for myself and more so in that by that point, I had joined the executive committee, so I'd reached the C-suite. I didn't feel like things were changing fast enough and I didn't understand why it was so difficult. You know, again, then this is slightly contradicting what I just said. You shouldn't have to bash the door down. It shouldn't be so difficult. And it's definitely noticeably difficult for women compared to men in financial services to rise to the top. So the Women's Accelerator came out of me really trying to understand why that was. Because again, going back to what I just said, I didn't see it actively being initiated. It's not like I was thinking that this is a really sexist organization and we need to do something about it. That's not it at all. So I tried to understand what what I've done with my marketing career as well is go back down to the data to understand why is this happening? Let me form a case. Because again, in this environment, the people that you're talking to, the stakeholders, the CEO, they come from finance, accounting backgrounds. So data speaks volumes. So I I dug into all of the, the statistics around why women aren't in the senior leadership roles. And I kind of came to this conclusion that actually it's not the C-suite that's the issue at all. It's the mid-management because of course you're not going to get any women into the C-suite or minimal women if there's no pool below that. So where's the pool below that? So start looking back down. And what I found at Apex and then once I looked outside at research across the financial services industry is it's, it's almost exactly the same in that you have a 50-50% proportion of men and women at the bottom of the business in the lowest levels of the organization and it just increasingly was deteriorating every corporate title that we went up so of course if there's a tiny pool of women to choose from at mid-management to go into the c-suite of course it's going to be minimal who ends up there so how do we actually solve the problem of this mobility through the organization and when I first started bringing it up a lot of the and again these were kind of questions more than answers when I said you know why don't we have more women at this level oh well do you think it's that women want to leave after they have babies when you look at the data that's absolutely not the case and actually then brings in questions like why don't we make it easier for women to come back but if we just part that for a second there's no indication in any way that women don't want to be there So what might it be? And then looking into further bits of data, there was all kinds of interesting things that came out of it around when the women are in the lower positions and they've got female managers, there's more likely for them to move through because there's probably a a lacking in unconscious bias. And I'm not saying this is a men versus women issue because actually you also see it on the flip side that women that have made it don't support other women to get through because it's a strange dynamic there as well. Um, so it's a societal issue at large, but it just play. I saw it playing out within Apex um, and identified also two kind of distinct broken rungs on the ladder. So it, it sort of was dropping evenly to a certain point just before mid-management and then suddenly there was a 10% drop of women 
to the next level and then getting out of mid-management into senior management again another broken rung so what I wanted to do was you know not come complaining I took the evidence, if you like, the data. I explored absolutely everything. We're a global business. I looked by country, by function, by corporate title, every single thing. And I always say this to my team. He's also from a marketing perspective. Never walk into that room unless you can answer absolutely every single question they may possibly ask you. Um, So I, I took it to the rest of the executive committee and walked them through it. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. There was a genuine shock that that was the situation. And I think because, you know, they weren't experiencing it directly themselves, it, they were just oblivious to it. Um, and, and what I wanted to do as well, another another trick for marketing or for career in general is also don't just go with a problem. You need to also come with some sort of suggested solution. Um, there are a few things around hiring, which is not the area that I own, but I made those recommendations. And then I said, look, why don't we focus on, rather than trying to bring more women in at the senior level, which is just sticking a plaster on, is looking at all those really talented women at, at the bottom of our business and actually just trying to help them move through, you know, break down those barriers and fix those broken rungs and have some mobility because then that forms the basis for long-term sustainable change, not just a quick fix that you can then market out and say, oh, well, we've got 50% women on our board, but you've got absolutely nobody else all the way through the middle of the organization. So if one of those women moves, it you know takes down to 25%. So that's really where it came from. And it, I didn't really know what to expect when we launched it and how, how people would buy into it. But we had last year, 52 people, I think, graduate through the program and 50% of them were promoted, progressed or changed roles in some way um, in terms of climbing up the ladder in their career. Because for everybody, it's also not just about progression. Some people have different drivers. They might want to just broaden their insights a bit more, get involved in certain projects. I think that one of the biggest things that came away from it was that kind of community that sounds so simple, but just giving other women an outlet to talk about their experiences and not in a negative way as well, because really set it out at the beginning to say, this is not women against men. This is absolutely not what this is. This is about understanding what our experiences are and talking to each other about ways in which we can handle them differently or talk. And I think my favorite thing outside of the promotion piece that came out of it at the end was I think 89% of the women that were in the program said they felt that they were able to speak to their manager about progression as a direct result of being in the program. And so it actually all basically underpinned was was confidence was the issue uh, and talking about other things like you know unconscious bias and imposter syndrome and things like that um but that's where that came from and then this year we had 300 ap- applications everyone w- wanted to be in it because they saw the results so yeah it's been really positive I think reading into the program that community aspect is one of the things that really stood out to me and having that you know peer support, having mentoring roundtables, you know, a place that's really unique for women to come together and talk about the unique challenges that we face. Why was that so crucial? And where did that type of thinking come from? I think probably from my own experience, to be honest, because there's two, it's kind of like a double whammy for me in being female and being in marketing. So those are two automatic challenges I would say in being in financial services because if I was in finance let's say um, you predominantly are taken a little bit more seriously historically than than marketing and comms professionals so I think from my perspective and I've never had um, 
particularly not in in since I joined financial services I've never had a, a sort of female role model to look up to and I'd been to lots of networking events and panels where people would talk about you know find that mentor learn from another woman and I always found that quite frustrating because a I kind of wanted to be my own person anyway and b I didn't have that so I had to carve carve my own way and I think it was when I did find the odd person, perhaps at a, a conference, or I happened to bump into someone that was in a similar role, the, just the kind of release or the relief of being able to talk and feel like you're not alone was was quite uh, monumental. And it gives you this confidence, just a conversation uh, to tackle things differently or to feel like, you know, it's not you, actually, it's just a symptom of society, actually. So I think for me, that's where the community piece came from. But I was still surprised at the strength of how strong that bond became across the group. Um, And they will continue to take that away, because that's the other thing we encourage them to do, you know, don't let just because this cohort this year has come to an end, don't let that be the end of your relationships and your bonds. um, Because they, and that kind of openness and transparency, um, and people being willing to share their personal experiences was kind of the bedrock of of the of the community that then formed. Yeah, I think that it's the point around it's not just you is so crucial, isn't it? And it's not just yeah. you and your own bubble. And it's so easy to get sucked into, sucked into that and just think about your own experiences as in isolation, I guess. Yeah. And have self-doubt as well. And particularly when you're kind of climbing the, the career ladder, if you don't have other people around you. And for me as well, it wasn't just being a woman, being in marketing. I was also younger than you would expect a CMO to be. Um, so all of those things together can make you feel quite lonely. And so I think with the Accelerator, I just wanted to make it a little less lonely and a little less difficult if I could for other women moving through the business. Really amazing. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier about the number of women declining at each rung of the ladder. So according to the press release that you published, it's women in financial services make up 52% of the workforce, and that declines to 37% at mid-management and only 16% at C-suite. Now, I'm not asking you to have the answer, (laughs) the clear-cut answer, but why do you think that is? And in what ways did programs like the Women's Accelerator program really help to change that? Well, one of the things that was really fascinating, actually, and this is specifically Apex data, because I couldn't find any third party data that looked at this. But at director level, when women were in director level roles, they were something like the attrition rate was minimal. It was maybe 15 percent over the year in comparison to male directors, of which there are a lot more that the attrition rate was like 80%. It was significantly different. So what we're seeing is actually when women get into those positions, they're much stickier. So it makes a lot more business sense to keep them. So then the again, the question is, yeah, why is that happening? I think it's a mix of things. I think it's women get disillusioned. And going back to what we talked about earlier, it is actually quite exhausting having to keep bashing the door down. Um, and very frustrating. And one of the things I talked about in when we launched the Women's Accelerator, just kind of setting the scene, um, and I was thinking about my own career, and I was talking about how, you know, in the basically throughout my entire career, through nobody's fault, again, goes back to being societal assumptions based on a multitude of different things. Um, I've been underestimated from my very first interview into the 
professional environment where I was asked, but are you going to be able to cope because it's all a male team? Um, that literally set, sets the, the, the sort of context of my career then to follow. And I think at the beginning, I, fa- I didn't really understand why people would say that. Then I got into the workplace and I thought, okay, well, I see why people are saying that because they seem to think there's a difference. Then I started getting very frustrated about it and really upset about it sort of halfway through. And actually now, one of the things I've learned to do is use that as a superpower. So almost knowing now that when I meet new people, A, they're probably going to assume I'm just the marketing girl um, or B, they're going to assume I don't really understand financial services or I have no clue about what's going on um, with our products or mergers and acquisitions. And I don't really understand all of that, again, for a couple of reasons. Um, But it's actually quite fun now because I go into the room knowing I'll be underestimated, which almost gives me kind of a, a leg up. So I think for, for women often it's it's trying to find the power behind some of those assumptions and, and almost use those to your advantage. But again, I think it comes back to the less women there are, the less women there are to support one another, the more unconscious bias takes over. And then as we saw within our accelerator, and I can't talk to this being fact, it's just what we saw within Apex, is they were much less likely to have the confidence to ask for more money or to ask for a promotion than their male counterparts and less kind of really pushed to do so. Um, And no, in fact, I have seen research around how that's kind of a female trait. I don't really like to get into binary gender definitions because I think that's old fashioned as well. But I do think that there's elements in a lot of what we talked about in the accelerator and, you know, embracing your female attributes. And, you know, there are great things that are sort of seen as assumptions in women in sort of longer term thinking, less reactive, a little bit more empathetic. When that comes to leadership, all of those things are really crucial. So, yeah, those are all things we touched on. And, and I, yeah, I can't really answer it. But there are some data points, I think, that would indicate there are uh, certain things that impact it. A hundred percent. I think that being underestimated point is as a woman starting out in my career I think that's definitely something that a lot of I've definitely experienced and a lot of what my peers have experienced and I think again to go back to that point around community it's about talking about it and just instilling confidence amongst peers Yeah. yeah um so just to bring things back to a more marketing focused discussion I'd like to talk about how gender equality and issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of feed into employer branding. So if you look at things like the trust barometer and other bits of research, it's clear that the focus on working with and for organizations who openly and actively share your values is a massive point in 2023. And have you seen that by creating initiatives like the Women's Accelerator Program, you're widening the pool of prospective talent that Apex attracts? Yeah, I think it's been absolutely huge. And because my role encompasses, so, you know, going back to what you said, I think it's, I think it's actually broader than just the employer brand and and how your employees feel about your brand. But we'll come back to that in a second. I mean, taking as an example, the Women's Accelerator, we actually had uh, feedback that one of the, one of our employees that had been with Apex for a long time, she left a couple of years ago, she's actually just come back. And in her interview, around rejoining she said one of the key decision making elements was that there was the women's accelerator program because she'd seen it promoted and she felt that that meant that you know she would be supported in her career development and it was a real kind of pull for her to come back so that's just one example but yet we see it time and time again I think it 
around retention as well is really key and not just for women but I think also for for men for people of different age groups for people of different sexualities if you can foster a legitimate and authentic sense of inclusivity because that's important there's a lot of and we've just had international women's day and I have really mixed feelings about that day now because I think it comes from a great place but it's turned into this terrible marketing exercise um that everybody kind of parades the women that happen to be in their business out on social media for a day and then they're forgotten about and we we took a bit of a stance on it this year um with a campaign i think we called it not just for a day um because that's the point you know i think that people want to see that it's authentic and when they when they feel that that's true then yes, it's a huge, hugely valuable element of employer brand. And we're actually working on, because we've gone through a lot of transformation in terms of growth, lots of acquisitions, bringing lots of different company cultures together. We're still growing phenomenally and hiring loads of people in loads of different uh, jurisdictions. So focusing on, okay, we've had all of this growth. Who are we today? And why does that matter outside of, you know, service and company and benefits that you get? Because as you say, it's not, actually about that anymore and you see people have different drivers not everybody is all about money we all need to get paid but it might not be the key driver so what's next it might be you know feeling purpose in their job that they're contributing it might be that they really want to work for a company that gives back and as you say we do see that more and more so I think it's important as long as they can see it authentically. And in the interviews we've been doing with our people around um, our employee value proposition, it's coming back loud and strong. Um, The top three things that they said they were proud of Apex for was the growth story, our stance on the environment, because we also are very strong on that and giving back, um, offsetting, tree planting. We raise lots of money for environmental causes. It's very close to our CEO's heart and women. So we decided to take a real stance on three things. We've done two of them really well, and we're now focusing on the second. The first is the environment. And our our stance is that the private markets are not doing enough. It's not just an issue for politicians or for charities um, or for foundations. It's something that the private markets, particularly financial services, can have a massive impact on because we control capital flows. So we feel at Apex, you know, responsibility, the big we get, we have 12,000 people globally now across 85 locations, and we have connectivity with some of the world's largest, most influential financial services firms and law firms. So we feel that it's our responsibility to take a stance on it and leave a legacy we can be proud of, which has a knock-on impact of really mobilizing your employees to feel that they work somewhere that is giving back. And as you say, you know, the workforce is now, I I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but the baby boomers are not in charge anymore. It's now millennials, Gen Z, and the younger people are, the more that those things matter to them. So the next generation of leaders are going to be people that really care about those things. So you've got to you've got to have some tangible things in place. And um, there's too I do think there's too much talk about purpose though, with not a lot of um, legitimacy behind it. So people have to be really careful about that um, and only talk about if if it's true. And I think it, going back to marketing, as marketers, we have a responsibility. You know, we're the mouthpiece for the business to not say it unless we think it rings true, because ultimately it'll be unpicked anyway. You know, people aren't silly; they they can see when a, a company is authentic and when it's not. So, yes, it's hugely valuable, but you have to be very careful to make sure that it's authentic. 
it's like you've got inside my head and taken every single thought and just verbalized it a hundred percent I think what you're saying about not just for a day I mean I also have mixed feelings on International Women's Day and I think it is transparent when companies like you say go oh look we have women working for us and that's the extent of it but I think the thing that Apex has really done well is if we take the Women's Accelerator program going back to the root of the problem going back to mid mid management and not just you know oh let's stick a woman in the boardroom and then that's it that's done it's structural change it's meaningful change and you can so clearly see through you can so clearly see when it's fluff and when it's not yeah and the other thing just to add to that and I'm you know breaking news (laughs) but tomorrow (laughs) we're actually taking that women's accelerator program but we're calling it women's accelerator network externally um so we're going to start creating that community outside of apex and seeing how we can um help facilitate change more broadly across the industry because the other thing i see with the women's networks across the the industry it's great that there are existing networks but you either have to have a fair substantial amount of money to join one or you need to be in the c-suite already which going back to what we just talked about doesn't solve any of the problem. So, you know, you can't just focus on the women that happen to have made it. You've got to help move people through. So we're going to try and leverage our sort of, I guess, our global stance and our our ability to get to quite a broad range of people to, to drive change outside of our, our organization brought more broadly in the industry as well. Well, we'll make sure we put a link to that in the bio. I think I could spend all day talking about this, but unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. And that's all from me. So goodbye. Goodbye.